Hey, Nate. I know you've had a lot going on since your wreck, so I decided to go ahead and pick you up a uh, new rental ship. Nice. Very nice. I see. Let's see. It's that one, I'm assuming. Oh. No, this one right here. I probably should have been more specific when I was talking about my rental car options. Um, I mean, this one has cup holders. What more do you want? For it not to be a cloud car? Enjoy your stay, cloud citizens. Hello. What have we here? I suggest a new strategy. You truly belong here with us, fucking cloud. Don't get excited. Welcome, scoundrels, to another episode of Cloud City Casino. We are your destination for Star Wars in-gaming, and of course, we're part of the Star Wars Report Network, and I am one of your hosts, Michael Morris, and of course, that other host, Nathan P. Butler. What's going on, buddy? Hey, hey, doing well. Um, They're taking the cloud car away, so I'm doing even better than I was a moment ago. I don't understand why you have so much issue with that cloud car. I thought it was nice, handles well, uh, stylish. And I appreciate the gesture, <laughs> even if it is kind of like saying you're going to take me out for some some nice ribs and instead you take me to get a muck rib. That's OK. Well, uh, so, hey, guess what? I mean, even though there is other news and things like that going on, we get to mostly talk about the uh, Battlefront 2 campaign this time. Hey, you finished it. Congratulations. Yeah, we were supposed to, I guess we were technically promising last week, but between work, because of course it's uh, that wonderful time of year, so my work's been bogging me down a bit, and then also, um, yeah, I just haven't finished the uh, the game. But I have finished it now, and we're going to talk about it. Very cool. So this time of year, you're talking about special elections? That's what's giving you so much trouble? <laughs> Yeah, that's it. So you just finished it, I guess, is it last night or today, right? So uh, Last night, yep. How do we want to do this? Do we want to do this kind of uh, character-wise? Do we want to do it sort of a, a bit by bit? How would you like to approach this one? Because I've got a bunch of thoughts rattling around, but I'm not sure I have them in any particular order in my head. Well, as much as I like Quentin Tarantino, I think the best place to start is the beginning. Okay, then. <laughs> I would say, then, that the beginning... And this, of course, folks, spoilers ahead. You can't talk about the campaign without spoilers. So if you haven't played the campaign or you don't want to hear spoilers for it, next episode is when we'll talk about the multiplayer stuff and whatnot. So just kind of know that going into this. Uh, But I would say that the beginning then is kind of like the issue zero of a comic series in that it's kind of before the game even launched. Because my biggest thing Mm – is that I have loved the campaign. I had a lot of fun with it, really enjoyed the characters. The banter is some of the best written banter in Star Wars video games ever. And we got some new characters that are pretty cool. But this is not the game we were promised. Before the game launched, the way that they were presenting this was, this is so cool because it's going to be the Imperial point of view. You get to play as the bad guys this time. Playing as the Imperials so that you can see what happens as it becomes the First Order, etc., etc., They hyped the hell out of this idea that we're going to get to play as the bad guys or play as the Empire and go throughout the game that way. Similar to uh, reading the Inferno Squad novel based on the game or tied into the game where it follows Imperials essentially as the protagonists of the book. That, of course, 
is not what we got. Instead, we get a game or a, a campaign that has 13 chapters, five of which you don't even play as Aiden, uh, as the main character. Um, but within that 13 chapters, basically we get a traditional, expected, cliche twist about 38% into it after the fifth chapter because surprise, 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 we get a story that's not the Imperial point of view throughout. It's, oh, look, it's an Imperial who's doing Imperial things, but then they see the Empire doing bad things and they have a change of heart and now they're going to join the Rebels and they're going to fight for freedom kind of story that we've seen. I, was, I would exaggerate and say millions of times in Star Wars, <laughs> but I think if I'm literal and say hundreds of times in Star Wars, I think that would actually probably be accurate. It's not the story we were promised. They also said so much about how it's going to bridge Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens and all this kind of stuff so we can see the development of the bad guys during that period, you know, how the Empire becomes the First Order and all of that. And unless that's coming in DLC content, which starts with new story content on December 13th, that's also not what we got because out of the 13 chapters, 12 of them carry us from the Battle of Endor to the Battle of Jakku. It's only the last chapter that acts as sort of an epilogue that jumps us to right before The Force Awakens. So none of that gap has actually really been filled in. It's the same crap as when they pulled that journey to Star Wars The Force Awakens stuff with books like Aftermath and whatnot, when really it's either right before The Force Awakens or it's within that last year or so uh, or that first year or so after Return of the Jedi. It's not actually bridging a freaking thing. So I really enjoyed it. But isn't this a phenomenal case of Star Wars false advertising when it comes to the campaign on both fronts? I say, okay, so I, I do want to cover some stuff before we get into this um, too far. But I want to say I think that I don't think it's false advertising as much as I mean, I think everything they said is true. Um, but it's a matter. I swear to God, if you do a from a certain point of view, no, I no, drive up there. It's not that. It's just it's a matter of. Like, like they didn't lie. It's just not just that. But at the same time, I feel like if they're like, "Oh yeah, well you'll start out," but of course, Aiden and uh, Dell are gonna swap sides. So you know, you'll you'll play as both sides. I mean, they did mention, uh, you know, differently without giving too much information that you know you'll play as different heroes. Um, and then they also, you know, they explained what Ferno Squadron is, and and that is true. But of course, they had their uh, their progression. So as far as um, saying like basically that it's a the story is a lie per se, or like what we were promised compared to what we got. I don't think that that's fair necessarily. But as far as cliche stuff, I think that can be discussed a little more. Can I can I make a comparison and ask if you think it's the same thing? Okay, real quick. Wouldn't this be similar to doing a a He-Man and the Masters of the Universe type of of movie or story and mm -hmm. advertising that you're going to see all the political workings and the adventures of young Prince Adam only for him to become He-Man a third of the way into it and then the rest of the story is about He-Man and has nothing to do with Prince Adam? That's a really weird, like, pull. Um <laughs> You know, but 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 I mean, that's the way that I'm seeing this is that it's I mean, it was a good story and the cliche you could have kind of seen coming miles away. But I think a lot of people didn't expect the cliche because they expected them to be true to what they said the story was going to be. And it, it would be different if they were saying this as sort of a well, it's going to be about this. And then they focused on something else about the story. But one of the biggest selling points of the campaign for this game that they hammered away at every time they opened their mouths. 
mm-hmm. was how this was going to be an imperial story. So I think it's a little bit different than just, well, they couldn't just tell us they were going to change sides because that would have spoiled things and that sort of thing. I think that is giving them too much of an out. I'd be totally fine with it if they hadn't just hammered away at that same mm-hmm. point. It'd be like if The Force Awakens, they ha- they promoted the heck out of it as this is, you know, 30 years after Return of the Jedi, but then it turns out that's just a framing story and the entire rest of the story is a flashback that happens like during The Empire Strikes Back or something. Yeah. I, it it I, was I get, entertaining, but mm-hmm. it just wasn't what most people expected, and there's been a lot of complaints in the community about yeah. exactly that. I, I'll say I, I think some of them are a little more warranted than others, and like I said, we'll cover that, but I, I do want to mention a couple things. You already mentioned that, of course, we've got more of the story to come, Mm-hmm. Uh, very soon. So that was cool because I was asking you because, of course, when you beat the game, it's like, Iden Versio's story continues in the multiplayer. And I was like, that's sort of weird, May, you know, but possibly that's the uh, DLC that they were talking about coming. And then I, I checked with you and you're like, yes, that's what's going on. Well, sort of. <laughs> the, the multiplayer aspect still doesn't make a lot of sense. That We are getting right. more story, but that's campaign mode stuff. Saying her story continues in multiplayer that in and of itself doesn't make it's a really a weird statement. It's a really odd statement. But it, it's their version of saying like James Bond will return though. Right, right. But I'm just saying the wording in it, I don't care for the the wording of it. And I, I, I know maybe that's a little, maybe someone thinks I'm being a bit um, childish in that or whatever, but I I'm agree. just like, I agree uh, that I'm being childish. No, no, I agree <laughs> that, it, that the wording is kind of screwy. I, yeah. Cause sometimes you're childish. I think this is a valid thing. Although, yeah. To, to be fair, they do um, – I know you said you haven't been doing a lot of claiming rewards and stuff like that because right. you're going to wait to do the multiplayer thing to actually check those off. But one of the things you do get for completing the campaign, even if you didn't get all the collectibles – and wow, mm-hmm. those collectibles. We'll talk about those in a minute. Um, but even if you don't do all the collectibles, you do get certain things for completing the chapters of the campaign. And uh, one of the last ones is to get like an upgraded star card that you can use for Aiden in her multiplayer version. Yeah, but that's so not her story. it is kind of saying story. you know, play as in multiplayer because you just got something for it. Right. But it, yeah, her story is not continuing because it's multiplayer by definition. It's not a story kind of thing. Right. So uh, um, the other thing I want to mention is that there is still some uh, stuff that's going on that I, I've noticed um, that there, you know, as far as like the controversy and controversy and everything uh, that we talked about in our last episode. Uh, apparently, at least according to Eurogamer, the physical sales of Battlefront 2 are down 60% compared to the sales of Battlefront 1. Not a huge surprise. I think that's that's a result of the controversy, but also just the fact you had a lot of people who, after Battlefront 1, swore off ever playing another Star Wars game from EA or DICE or another Battlefront game. So I, you got that dip. Uh, and I'm not sure that the new features and all, and the fact that they answered almost every major complaint... Um, would have been enough to get those who just said, screw it, I'm done, to come back. Um, but yeah, that number is is insane. And you notice that when that happened, the with the controversy and the sales numbers dropping, the sales projections for Battlefront 2 dropping, the uh, stock price for EA took a huge hit, yeah, too. Yeah, I mean, this is, like I said, this is crazy. Um, and of course, they don't, you know, I was trying to look and see if they um, referenced where they're they're pulling that from. But they, they don't, which is unfortunate. But they, yeah, I mean, between, when you're actually seeing stock prices drop, that's very interesting. Uh, and then also, 
you know, seeing that uh, I was unaware of this. Apparently, BBC and CNN covered uh, this, you know, covered the uh, the controversy, the battlefront, yeah. yeah, the controversy. So that, I mean, that's it's much much bigger than just the gaming community. You know, when people who are like. I don't play video games. I don't know anything, but hey, I watch CNN uh, every day, and I, you know, so now I know what's going on and and see that people are upset about it and all. So that's really interesting to me. Uh, and then, of course, uh, of course, you know, past that, um, it's just it's a situation of I don't know. I mean, I guess that moves into our, our next set of where they've lost, you know, they've lost sixty uh, percent, but also they're basically stuck now to where and i want to say i read something but i um i was not in a good place to try to save it for you know referencing on the show uh but basically that they have admitted like they're stuck now not being able to do dlc at all like they they cannot um you know they can't bring back the um you know the pay options or whatever to Mm -hmm. get the was it the crystals you buy that's the, the actual currency that you pay for yeah, if you're going to do a microtransaction, yeah. Yeah, so apparently that's um, that's now out the door, that that's not going to be something that they can do. That it won't come back at all. Yeah. Interesting. That now, I had not heard. One thing I uh, to add into that, though, you mentioned the whole thing about um, how it's making the news. One of the other things that helped it make the news that kind of kept the story alive but didn't get a lot of play on video game sites but did in just sort of the mainstream news, um, Chris Lee, and I think I said Mike Lee, I got him backwards um very different people um Mm -hmm. on one of the streams but chris lee a democratic representative from hawaii Mm -hmm. um actually came out with a public statement basically like an on-camera announcement of how he wants legislatures in states and uh the u.s congress to actually start investigating and to combat the quote-unquote predatory behavior of basically microtransactions, specifically kind of coming out of the battlefront to controversy. So we've even got it moving here in that regard. I know we spent a lot of time talking about the whole issue of uh, loot boxes versus gambling and stuff last time because of what was happening in Belgium. But now you're seeing it pop up in the U.S., um, though whether or not anything gets acted on or not, it's out there. But if you look up Chris Lee microtransactions, you'll see – um, his statement that you can find about what he said about this being predatory behavior and kind of putting a target on EA as if they needed another. It's, like, <laughs> right? it's, like, it's one of those ships flying around X-Wing that's got like eight target lock tokens yeah. on it from different ships. It's a, it's a soft target, but a target nonetheless. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because that, that's my thing is like looking at it from a larger view. You know, I'm not a fan of the, you know, the microtransactions and stuff like that, but... I don't think that they are the biggest, um, you know, abuser of this. I mean, when you look at uh, mobile games, almost all mobile games are about microtransactions, you know? I mean, that's there are less games and more um, little microtransaction schemes, you know? So, to me, look at I say look at that before you worry about this, personally, but uh, I don't know. I, I guess maybe it's because there's not enough serious gamers um, that are actually playing those games or, you know, frustrated enough with, uh, those types of games to start making stands to, to make this Mm -hmm. kind of stuff stand out to people. I don't know, but I mean, I get it. Hey, it's going to be what it's going to be. I, I, you know, I'm not going to stand strong on one side or the other of it personally. Um, I, I get that these, like we talked about 
earlier, you know, as far as, um, you know, what video games charge now compared to they charge, uh, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, that they're not really making as much per game. But, um, and, and so I can see, you know, them wanting to, to make more, especially the more cinematic that everything becomes uh, and, and their mm-hmm. budgets and everything. But, um, you know, past that, there was also, you know, I was seeing that, yeah, there's a lot more places, like you were saying, that are really investigating the, the gambling side or the uh, microtransaction side um, now because of this. So it's it's really, really been a, a huge uh, tipping point, uh, at least for, for the microtransaction stuff, which I guess would, you know, I think probably most gamers would qualify as, as a win, because um, I know in gaming and especially AAA titles, gamers have been really frustrated for several, several y- years now. Yeah, just the question of, you know, paid DLC. Well, you know, that was fine for a while. And then it's season passes and uh, and it's just sort of this thing of anything that has a sort of paying beyond the initial base price of the game is frustrating people. But at the same time, we don't want to pay more for the base price. Again, that's all econ stuff, I guess, for the last episode. Remember my great hot dog seller analogy, right? <laughs> right. Um, but actually, it's the other thing that came up, and I find this interesting in light of you saying that microtransactions may not be coming back at all because they implied that they would be in their initial statement. Right. Um, but they, of course, got into another thing. They they just got this tendency. It's like they've got a magnet for feces in their shoes. <laughs> and every time they walk, it's like they're just drawn towards stepping in something. Yeah. Because... Um, it turned out that when asked about micro, uh, the idea of microtransactions just for cosmetic stuff, because there was some data mining that showed the different types of clones and uh, different alien types that you could use for the rebels and stuff like that, stuff that was similar to some degree to customization we could do in the first Battlefront with like character heads and such, um, yeah. that there that kind of came out and sort of got the whole, well, what about microtransactions for cosmetic stuff as a con- discussion bubbling again. And into that mix in comes EA again, or DICE or whoever it was, someone representing it officially, saying, well, that's a little tricky because you don't want a pink Darth Vader because that would clash with canon and not be good. Oh, my God. And, and there's a part of me out there that's saying, okay, for a well, pink Darth Vader, think about what you could do for, like, breast cancer awareness or something like that, right? I mean, that, that would be where a pink one would perhaps come or in. Or just because somebody but, freaking wants a pink Darth Vader. <laughs> yeah, but, and you and I have talked about this before, this idea that, you know, they're sticking to canon for the story. In fact, it's a nice new solid part of story group canon and links to some other stories, which is cool. Right. But they're not doing that with multiplayer. Or, I mean, unless you're going to use these different skins in the story, which I don't think is even an option, how is that supposed to work with multiplayer? Because multiplayer's already got like Ray and Yoda fighting together in its mall and Vader during right. the Battle of Hoth. Right. Canon is already out the window when exactly. it comes to multiplayer. So why are you drawing the line at pink vader you know and of all things why pink vader right because that like like that's what people were asking for anyway you know like oh yeah i mean i every time i pop on battlefront i'm like this is fun but man what i really really (laughs) want is i want to be able to play as leia with a clown nose big feet and like a polka dotted uniform i don't like this whole in-universe look for her i want her to look like it yeah Oh, right, right. Even and, and like you said, even if people were looking for it, yeah. So what? Crap? Like, okay. yeah, exactly. Like, it's not. It doesn't Especially break. Especially if it's already breaking canon. If it wasn't already breaking canon, fine. To but me, it is right. To me, then I, the what I think about it is it's something they don't want to do 
or they don't see as being uh, beneficial to them. And I think that they have enough um, like peripheral knowledge of, of stuff going on in the Star Wars community that they're using a an excuse that doesn't hold nearly as much water. And they would know that if they had more than just the, the peripheral peripheral uh, knowledge of it, you know, but they're just like, Oh no. Cause you know, Canon, like I, I know how you star Wars fans hate when Canon gets messed up. And it's like, do you even know what Canon? <laughs> you know, um, you realize it's Canon with one in, in the middle, not right. two, right. It's not something you fire. <laughs> Unlike yeah. say the heads of, yeah. <laughs> um, but what about the story? So we we, we kind of circle back around. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about the story? It's pretty good. It's, it's not good night, folks. That's it. <laughs> okay. So honestly, it's funny because in some ways, like what you're saying, I'm like, well, I don't agree with that. Um, but in other, like, so it's like this. I don't necessarily know that like the the finer points that I agree with you on uh, your idea of the story but i think at the same time that we would probably if we were just going to give just a blanket score we'd probably have similar scores um okay but now i now i want to know yeah so like for instance what would would be your blanket score your blanket grade oh for this one just for the campaign just for the campaign okay um out of what 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 do you want to use for scoring let's let's do a b c d f right so excellent good average below average or yeah you you didn't get it so i would probably put it somewhere between you know a a b and a c probably somewhere in there interesting Uh i think if i take expectation completely out of it which is kind of the same way we got to look at something like phantom menace i would actually say i would probably be sitting there somewhere between a b and an a i think that it's a little cliche and i would have liked to see it longer but i don't really have much in the way of complaints about the actual campaign itself aside from how it was marketed Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, like you mentioned, you said that you thought it was kind of cliche and I, I don't think that it's, um, that cliche in that I just think it's sort of, it's sort of one of those situations where, you know, they say that like, there's only like five stories. They're just sort of told a little bit differently each time. Mm-hmm. The you know? Shakespeare analogy thing. Right. Use. I think it's more like that because the situation is you, you know, there's only certain things that can actually happen Uh, for this game and i think that within the sandbox that they had you know within the restraints uh especially knowing that with books like uh aftermath and all of that outlining everything i think they did a pretty good job of keeping everything within um you know i think they made a good job or did a good job of telling a story that works within um you know the the greater story that's going on but mm-hmm. to be fair, and I, and I agree, I think that this was in fact, in, more than even some of the books and some of the comics. This one actually bothers to connect to things. It's connecting to the Aftermath trilogy. It's making references to Gallius Rax, for instance, to an observatory, albeit on a different planet, um, uh, to you know needing to get ships to, to head out towards an Imperial facility. Um, mm-hmm. which is tying directly into Empire's End, and then a bunch of stuff with Naboo that ties into Shattered Empire. Lots of really good ties. Right. But your comment that given the sandbox they were in or given the the boundaries they were in, mm-hmm. they told the kind of story that they could tell, I don't think that they had to necessarily deviate into the cliche or whatever you want to call it, whatever we want to label the typical bad guy turns good because Empire bad so kind of story. 
that they didn't have to do that. So you're they saying they kept you, this an imperial side thing. Uh, see, I, I disagree completely. Um, you, you've got the empire involved all the way up through the Battle of Jakku in continuity with its side having something to do in all the stories are trying to tie it to. So why couldn't you have it just be empire straight through? Unless you're basically saying that from a, a morality or the ability of the audience to be able to like relate to the characters and relate to their side perspective, they couldn't do it. That maybe I could see, but from the standpoint of just, could you tell that story? Do those elements of the story exist for you to be able to tell a story that's all Imperial? Of course you can. That's basically what Ray Sloan was all about. Yeah, but she ne- she never had her own story. Her stories were always connected to other stories, because the- she, I would argue she's one of the primary characters of Aftermath, though. Okay, yes, and but she's the antagonist. Through. She stays an Imperial the entire time. But she's an antagonist, though. That's the difference. Uh, I'm going to argue that at least in Empire's End, she's not an antagonist. She's a protagonist, and the antagonist is Gallius Rex because she's trying to stop him. Uh, okay, I, I'll I'll say I'll say by Empire's End, she she may fall like in a little bit more of a, a tweener, but even still, she a is tweener? like a like in between. Oh, I was I was thinking you were gonna say that she reverted to being a kid or something. Oh, like a like a teeny bopper type of thing. Whatever a, a, a whatever a tweener is, because I oh. don't know that I've heard that phrase outside of well, of I, age. It's, but, probably, okay, so it's probably more wrestling I'll, terms. I'll, get, but. I'll <laughs> give it to you that it's a it's. It would be harder to tell a story like that, but certainly not impossible within well, the boundaries that they have. Well, but a story that is in any any way um, intriguing. I mean, to me, h- how do you tell a story about someone who is is bad? And now, granted, I I, I do think there's a, an easy answer for it, um, which was basically how do you tell it? Well, by writing uh, Inferno Squad. <laughs> uh, but typically speaking. Books that are, um, you know, or, or any story that's like from the villain point of view and stays from the villain point of view are always very flawed. And Tarkin, Tarkin, Thrawn, uh, you're naming two books that I thought were not very good. Really, uh, Thrawn's terrible. They tended to be fairly well, fairly well thought of in in some cases. Well, I know, well, but I, I, I'm I sorry. A lot of that, a lot of Thrawn is from people who are like, I love Thrawn because this reminds me of when Thrawn was in books, and now he's in books again. Um, and, and at least he's not a god anymore, basically. But uh, psh, what are you would, talking about? He's oh, 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 we got to talk about this because in Thrawn, he's like, oh. Yeah. oh the only time that I was actually vulnerable, I wasn't actually vulnerable. I was just testing those three guys. Um, I could have handled myself, but I wanted to see what they had to offer. So I acted like I couldn't handle three dudes yeah. at once. Dude, but that's... That was, but that was him basically doing the whole strategizing of an individual situation. I'm talking about where you got books like Choices of One, where he's not even really involved in this situation. He's far removed, and yet he is still somehow figuring out everybody eight, nine, ten chess moves ahead and predicting everything as if he's uh, uh, you know, omniscient or, or something. Um, but He's I, still I, doing that, I, though. I he's just the main to, character. To hit the thing you were talking about, though, <laughs> uh-huh. the, the, the main thing. Um, I would argue, how do you tell a story like that that doesn't come out flawed and whatnot? You tell the story that they promise to tell. That you tell the story they advertise. You tell the story of Aiden as a loyal imperial who believes mm-hmm. in the cause, who isn't evil, though. And by the end, you show how that that desire for order and her belief system allows her to be part of founding the First Order because she still has those ideals she believes in and still sees the enemy as terrorists slash whatever as opposed to rebels – 
Um, so you can still have her be a character who essentially has a what in her mind is a positive moral background to get her from point A to point B, like you did with Inferno Squad, but in this particular time period that they talked about telling this story. I mean, uh, to be I don't fair, think they that had was... to go into the, the the cliche. Well, to be fair, that was half. I mean, what you just described is exactly what hask was so that was in this story except that hask was a villain right they turned they took hask and said no hask you get to be the stereotypical villain because believing in the empire isn't a different perspective like it was in inferno squad believing in the empire at all makes you simply evil so congratulations here's your mustache to twirl right but and and but again that's my problem is because you how do you actually do that i i think that it's a, a situation you, you of, make you make gideon that that story's version of saw Gerrera. he is the extremist who's on the right side but doing things the wrong way that's how you do it uh i don't know i like i said i i i, I can't see that happening i um because like you said we're, we're talking the the oh okay so you what you're saying is make them good but uh or make him you know quote unquote good but make uh, Iden and uh, Dell, bad. That's what you're saying. No, I'm saying how you, you have uh, you tell a story from the imperial perspective. Right. You don't have the change of loyalties happen. Mm-hmm. You have someone who is basically an an imperial for what they think of as moral reasons, like the characters are in Inferno Squad. But you have it so that basically their methods and the extremes they're willing to go to to push that ideology are different. So for so for instance, you've got like in say, Rebels or Rogue One, you have sort of the Rebels that are the good Rebels, and then you have Saw Gerrera's Rebels who are still fighting for the right thing, but doing so in the wrong way, so they're looked at as sort of like, they're not really the good guys, but they're also not really the bad guys, they're sort of the more flawed version of good. Okay, um, so, so... That sort of thing. Like, like make make Gideon kind of like the partisans, and make Iden and them more like, say, Luke, Leia, the, the mainstream Rebels. Yeah, but I think in that point, there's no point in... Uh, it, I don't see any any reason to then break um, Gideon at at in that case because I th- I think that e- any way you do that you're going to side with Gideon even if you're like well you know he's flawed or whatever but I, I just don't think that works what you would have to do is essentially just repeat um, Inferno Squad in which case you had uh, what was the guy's name that it basically led the partisans not the uh, you know, not not now. I can't, I can't believe I can't think of any of the uh, the characters. Stas started with an S T. Yeah, but anyhow, that guy. Yeah. Um, you know, you would have to do that. So this one I think is more interesting because I liked it better because you you have a you actually have an antagonist and an antagonist that has a connection, whereas with um, uh, you know, where um, with uh, uh, um trying to do it that way you're, you're basically just creating uh you're just creating a villain just to sort of be the villain whereas at least with this you have uh, you know a, a villain to um that th- you know they're related to and you understand that there's sort of um uh what's it, like um, you you get the emotional connections to it i suppose i don't know i still i mean w- this will be an agree to disagree because to yeah. me you know, with Inferno Squad, you had Hask being a jerk and the others being, yeah. you know, less and, jerky. And you could do the same thing with, you know, Saw Gerrera and the others and still tell a story that's from the Imperial perspective without having to turn Aiden and Dell into rebels partway through the story. I don't I just don't see it. But 
I'll give that to you. I, I, I will concede that it can be done. I'm not saying it's impossible to do. Because um, like I said, you know, I, I, I have before said, I'm like, no, you can't tell a story from the bad guy point of view. And that, I mean, there are definitely exceptions to that rule. And, and Inferno Squad is one of them. But I just think that as a whole... It's something that is, uh, it's much harder to do and actually become believable. And I, I think that, you know, an easy way to fall into a trope or cliche is that it just kind of feels more natural for storytelling. So I, I get what you're saying. I just, I don't think it's that big a deal. And I don't necessarily know that um, we were so much promised, you know, a imperial side only story as much as they're just like yeah you know play as the imperial Iden versio without just giving like who is going to turn you know later on or whatever like like how do you say it without giving specific story details like to me i'm like no that's fine like that's what happened you know she was imperial for most of it and like she changed and whatever you know, that actually leads directly into something I wanted to ask about All right, um, relating to this. So we'll kind of let that be sort of a agree to disagree kind of thing, I think. Mm-hmm. But you talk about her moment of change. You know, well, she was like this and well, now she's like this. It struck me when playing, especially very early on, um, that basically we're already finding that she is sort of a anti-imperial imperial or an imperial who's really really critical of the imperial system Mm -hmm. right from the get-go in the game i mean you start out with you know they're on indoor and she's griping and then the death star explodes and she's griping some more about (laughs) how well command just screwed up again yeah and all this kind of stuff and then eventually yes she does wind up on that mission to vardos and i think it is her change of sides is more believable because it was her home world Uh where she saw an atrocity rather than it being just any world that she's actually seeing it. And you hear her talking as you're walking about, you know, uh, these are our people and that sort of thing. Um, As opposed to, to uh, Gideon's, you know, the empire is our people, which is much more in line with her father. You know, Mm -hmm. the empire is our home. Um, but it seems as though, I mean, even as she's leading up to the whole, I don't take orders from dead men kind of stuff. I thought that was a really good line, personally. I thought that was a good line. I uh-huh. thought it was over the top for where the character was at that point and probably should have gotten her shot on sight. <laughs> um, but that's the thing for me, is that there wasn't really a slow burn to this, right? Mm-hmm. We right. jump in, and within the first five chapters, actually by really kind of the, the about a third of the way into the fifth chapter... You have this whole she's turning on the Empire thing. But all throughout, she was making those types of comments. Right. And I don't think we got her to that point of questioning at the end of Inferno Squad. Yeah. We got close, but You're... not quite. But it's been a few years. Right. And I was just wondering if you thought that this was something where there should have been a longer burn of her changing her mind and seeing things that would turn her against the Empire rather than having it happen not just about only a third of the way into the story – but also with her already like expressing on a that dime. type of stuff from the get-go. Yeah, I mean, uh, so this is, I think we're both actually going to fall uh, very similar on, on this topic. Because, yeah, that was sort of my thing, too. Um, mostly, like, it's weird because you explain it, I'm like, yeah, I guess I get that. But when I was playing, I was like, well, that kind of felt like it just sort of came out of left field. Um, and, and to me, just as a whole, I feel like in a lot of ways, 
it's really good to have Inferno Squadron as a primer for this. Um, but at the same time, I also feel like there are some inconsistencies uh, between the two. Like you need to have somebody back there, like somebody on her team as they're walking and she's like, well, the brass screwed up again and that sort of thing. Somebody back there needs to be saying, Aiden, are you acting out the part of a rebel sympathizer so that you can go behind enemy lines again like you did in the novel? Because if not, you're going to get shot. Well, I, I kind of, so I sort of felt like it was less about her being critical of the empire as a whole or the idea of the empire as her basically being more critical of the, um, the decision-making and leadership skills and stuff like that of the empire basically being like, there's a more, you know, not that there's a more, um, humanitarian way to do this, but there's a, a, a better, um, more, what's the word? Um, um, Efficient? Efficient, or? yeah, yeah, that's that's perfect. Yeah, the, the, oh, like, oh, she's more questioning their efficiency rather than their, um, you know, their humanitarianness or whatever. I'm sure there's a better word for that, too. But uh, So so you're <laughs> thinking it's more like, you know, how in American politics you have the whole, you know, you can respect the office and not respect the person that's in it kind of thing, right? So the big picture she's still good with, but the individuals making the decisions she finds are not doing their jobs effectively. So you're seeing when she's griping about it, She's basically talking about specific individuals and decisions. She's not questioning the empire per se. It's only when she winds up with Operation Cinder going on and she winds up on Vardos that then she's questioning the empire and its ideology and, and sort of the empire right. as a whole rather than specific decisions. Right. And, which, and yeah. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, and actually that, and, and that may not have been what they were going for or whatever, but that even does go um, more into, you know, the, the current. Um, mythos or whatever that we have because that was one of my favorite things about Lost Stars is that they talk about that really the first Death Death Star exploding was a critical hit because yes, they were able to to fill positions and stuff but all their top officers and everything like that were killed so now they're having to promote people that they weren't necessarily going to be promoting quite so soon so you're getting a lot uh, a lot of people who are fresh, you know, it's basically, hey, we have these leadership roles we need to fill. So guess what? You're doing that now. And that can lead to, you know, basically a, a weaker empire. And and so if, if she is criticizing more the efficiency, um, I, I feel like that goes. And then I can also see how, you know, already being critical about that and then start seeing you know, like I said, the more uh, human side of things that, you know, you may be more open for that. Um, so it's weird. I'm actually becoming a little more positive on mm. this stuff now talking it out with you than I was prior. Nice. So talking about the idea of sort of having that consistency there and the development of the characters and all, um, if we can jump sort of towards the end of the story and kind mm-hmm. of as since we're talking more characters here than we are specific plot beats. Right. Um, I actually found the ending, or not, okay, not the ending ending, the ending of the Battle of Jakupar, <laughs> the ending of the the one era of stories before it jumps to the weird future and we get all the questions that have to be answered in DLC now. Right, But right. I found that, um... You're talking about the kiss? I've seen, uh, I'm talking about uh, right before the kiss. I'm talking about while she's on the, uh, the Imperial Star Destroyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 
if you look at some of the forums and ways that people are reacting to this story, what I'm finding is that there seems to be a fairly even division between those who thought that the way that Versio, uh, Admiral Versio, um, reacted in the end was in keeping with his character versus not, which mm-hmm. is completely defined by whether someone read Inferno Squad. Right. Because for me, the fact that he's willing to basically be there and say, you know, you know, I'm staying with the ship totally makes sense. You know, he's a loyal Imperial. He's going down with the ship, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, kind of I've made my bed. I'm staying here. Go live. And the sentiment he expresses towards Aiden that you don't really get anywhere else in the game. Oh, I agree 100 um, percent. Yeah, I think that 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 perfectly, though, matches the whole thing at the end of the novel where it's mm-hmm. like, you know, she thinks her mom died thinking she was a traitor. And he reveals that even though it was sort of breaking protocol and breaking the rules, he made sure that she didn't die thinking that I was a traitor. And I, to me, it's like that was a perfect counterpoint, not counterpoint, a uh, companion point, I guess, mm-hmm. to that happening in the novel. And I was kind of choked up for a moment by it. Uh, I was even choked yeah. up talking about that whole angle on a stream a while back. But for someone who was just playing the game, I can see where they would think mm-hmm. that was a complete 180 and be like, what the heck just happened that's completely out of character? Oh, yeah, Since absolutely. they haven't seen the whole thing about the mom. And and I think that's a flaw um, because the, the thing is, you really shouldn't have to read Inferno Squad in order to get um, everything out of it. And, and, you know, this game should be good on its own. But yeah, you're 100% right. You really do need to um, read Inferno Squadron or Inferno Squad in order to um, to understand that uh, character moment from him. Yeah, I agree, I agree 100% because I thought it was very powerful and I, I thought it was well done knowing what I know about his character. If I didn't know that, then I'd be like, what? Okay, I guess that seems a little you know, out of character seems like it was more just, Oh, we did this because it seemed to be the, um, you know, it it sort of just seemed to be the, the cliche or whatever. And, and I'm actually wondering how these things were decided because I, I kind of wonder if they did their story first and then Christy golden had to, um, sort of come up with, um, explanations or, um, you know, sort of, (laughs) not quite retconning, but sort of retcon behaviors right. and stuff. Uh, well, and, you th- and, I, and I think that it's, it's probably the latter because I forget the name of her, but you know, the, there's the, uh, the Aqualish that the whole point is to go down to Vardos and save that Aqualish, um, to bring back because that person will be part of, you know, the first order in the stormtrooper training and that sort of thing. And that was the same individual, that sort of looked looked after Aiden while under house arrest and whatnot, or whatever you want to call it, back in the novel. It, it definitely seems like it was probably the latter. Like, there are things you see in the novel, and you're like, oh, once you see it in the game, that's why it's there, mm-hmm. I think. But to, to your point, though, about the way that the two interact, though, something else that brings up is, should they have marketed this game with less specifics about the squad? Should it have just been characters in armor and maybe showing Aiden? And I say that because we have two main differences between the Inferno squad we see here and the Inferno squad that we see back in the novel. Right. One being that that in the novel it's Dell's droid and here it's Aiden's droid I, throughout and you never get a reference. But also I agree 100%. Sane, yeah. That what about me- what about Sane though? 
in Inferno Squad, you're basically as soon as you meet Sane Marana, who is the fourth member of Inferno Squad, you're like, yep, she is going to die. She's nowhere in the promotional stuff for the game. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that was an instance of them almost sort of spoiling themselves because the more we learned about Inferno Squad for the game before the game came out, the less likely it was that Sane would survive. And it was a question of how she'd die or how she'd leave the scene rather than will she die, will she leave the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, did they give away too much by trying to promote this game with, you know, hey, check it out, it's Paul Blackthorne too, and that sort of thing, um, that wound up sort of undermining the novel to an extent? Or do you think that, you know, they did, it was just perfectly fine the way that they did it? Because to me, I feel like it was a little bit undermining, but I'm not sure if it was, I mean, I don't think it was intentional, but it still wound up being that way for anybody who was really paying attention. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I guess my thing is I don't I never try to, uh, try to look into that kind of stuff um just because I you know, I I want to enjoy the story. I want enough to know enough about the story to to know what I'm getting into, but not so much that I I am able to start gleaming those types of things. Um so I didn't like it wasn't anything that I ever really thought about or or jumped into or anything like that. Um, because mostly I didn't know how big the squad would be, you know, I, I didn't know if, um, you know, I I didn't know if it was going to continue to be four or if it was going to grow and and be more than that or what. Um, I I guess I, I kind of assumed it would be bigger, you know, that there would be Mm -hmm. multiple people in the squad. So, yeah, I mean, I, I never picked up on that or anything. I, I do know that you're not the only one. I heard other people sort of mention that, and, and it was off of uh, one promo shot where you have uh, Aiden standing with Dell on one side and mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, Hask on the other. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess for some people, possibly or whatever, but also there's so many different ways that that could be done. You know, I mean, she obviously she doesn't have to die. Maybe she quits maybe she gets promoted maybe she um you know betrays them or or whatever so let me toss out uh so i would say the easiest way to make it so that's not obvious Mm -hmm. assuming that they were working on these in conjunction with each other not that the novel was just written after the game was already pretty much locked which is probably the case but they could easily have added another female member to that team and just not told us the character's name until later because it does seem odd It seems odd, but sort of a story necessity, I guess, to some degree to me, that they don't replace Sane. I mean, it's basically been three years at least, and Mm -hmm. Sane Marana's position on Inferno Squad was never refilled. Oh, one member of this team of four with this specific skill set is dead. I guess we just don't need that skill set anymore, which doesn't quite make a lot of logical sense. But from a story standpoint, if one of them is going to be the one that stays with the Empire and becomes a villain, sort of the second level villain and the other two are going to be working so closely together that eventually they will become a couple so we can set up the romantic aspect of it and set up that future segment with the kid and and all that kind of stuff then it pretty much made sense to have to be just the four the the three of them unless they were going to kill off a fourth or something at some point along the way um, because it would have been like having an extra wheel involved so i mean i can see why they left it at three but one of the first things I that I saw when getting into it, and I saw that it was just a group of three, I'm like, they didn't replace Sane? I mean, they got the same ship, and I think even the same crew members right. referenced here by name as with the Corvus as in the book. 
but they don't fill in the here's an intelligence logistical person who actually knows this stuff position <laughs> on the team. Oh, that well, seems like that's kind of a well. I kind of feel point. like if it was the sniper that got lost, they'd replace the sniper. Well, I kind of feel like Dell took over those, uh, uh, you know, responsibilities. Maybe it just I don't know. It just seemed it just seemed Cause weird. I, I, I mean, because me. I do think that was sort of the point that they. Um, they were sort of um, multi-talented, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't know. I, I don't think it's, it's that big a deal, personally. Um, so they were Wraith Squadron, basically. Sure. I'd, An Imperial Wraith Squadron. Mm, no. I, no. Thought, I thought... He's like, he's like, yeah, yeah, I don't get it. Keep your Legends references no, elsewhere. I, so. No, Wraith Squadron's one of the the few legends things I actually really enjoy. Um, I just, I was thinking race squadron was more of um, like a, a, a dirty dozen type of situation where they had individual skill sets. Yeah, to an extent, I just remember it, the idea of them being able to do multifaceted stuff. They can be pilots, but they can also do like the spec forces type um, type of stuff here. So what did you think about, well, I'm trying to. I was gonna talk sure about the droid because we're talking about you know stuff. Okay, yes, yeah, yes, that, the droid. Then then I'll then I'll ask you a question that that had me kind of going hmm. I I feel like that, and it makes sense. I mean, it, it like it's weird because I'm like, well, should maybe the droid? You know, is, is this a situation of where Christy Golden should have? Um, and, and I think a lot of it has to do with how much of one story was designed before the other, and and which one came first. But, yeah, I mean, in the book, the droid stayed almost completely, or, you know, stayed with Dell the entire time. Like, that was his droid. Um, mm-hmm. Now, was that the same droid that uh, Sin used when they went to go blow up the school or whatever? Or the weapons factor? I can't remember what it was, but with all the kids? I'm trying to remember. I don't think that droid was with her, if I remember correctly. Um but but yeah, I mean that was the droid that was essentially it was referred to constantly as Dell's droid, right? Um, and it just kind of made me wonder if this was an instance of you know it just changed hands at some point in those two to three years in between, or maybe it's just that you know everybody on the team supposedly had a droid and well, he just at least at that point, but Dell and Gideon just never used theirs and we never saw theirs. It just either I way, know, I think there's needs, I mean honestly, and I know that it's kind of silly but I, I don't i think for consistency it, there needs there needed to be like a little scene and and i think it actually would have built up toward the kiss because i thought the kiss was out of nowhere as well where she's like oh you know here's your droid back and you know just be like ah, eh, maybe you should keep him he seems to like you anyway or something like that you know keep him he can spy on you in the shower for me <laughs> okay that's weird but you know hey just... hey that's it they were gonna end up with some weird anyway apparently anyway um like I think that just a little scene like that might would then have you kind of go, oh, he kind of has a, a little bit of a thing for her, and then that also explains why she now has the droid all the time and he doesn't, even though in the book that wasn't the case. I, that's just my personal opinion on it. Um, Very Anakin, Padme, R two, and three PO. <laughs> right, that's actually pretty good. Nice. Um, so the question I was going to ask is, what did you think about how we basically have? I want to say it's five chapters i think uh-huh. where we stop playing as aiden and instead of jumping into playing as another member of inferno squad we wind up playing as the hero characters i've seen a lot of of 
reviews that refer to it as feeling disjointed because, you know, you get to a point where all of a sudden you're playing as Luke or Lando or Han or Leia or I swear there's somebody else that I'm forgetting. Kylo. At one point. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, Kylo Han. Ren at, at the very end. But aside from the last chapter where you're playing briefly as Kylo, you do jump into playing as the heroes a few times, but you're still mm-hmm. alongside in- Inferno Squad. I mean, the story right. is still going like, you know, Luke is there with Dell and Dell's there with Leia and so on. Um, I never really felt like it was particularly disjointed. There's a part of me that thinks, well, of course, they just want to make sure you get a chance to play as these characters in right. the campaign because they're in the game otherwise. Mm-hmm. But for all the ways they could have done that, it didn't feel particularly disjointed to me because it seemed like there was a solid enough through line for the right. story that those were sort of natural moments to add them in. And, and people say, like, well, you just go off as on a mission as Lando at one point. Well, yeah, but it ties into what had just happened and what's going exactly. to happen. So that wasn't an issue for me. And like, you've got Aiden on the comms the whole time and stuff, you know, where it feels right. like it's in there. The only one that I had any issue with was the Kylo one. Um, the and, ending one that's all like Inception or something. And and it was a lot less to do with me going like, I don't understand why I'm playing as Kylo as much as I'm like, okay, there's a lot of mechanical issues that I have right now. Um I thought I thought it was you don't, you don't like his his controls basically. Um, no, it's not what so much. You, what do you mean by mechanical? Um, I mean as far as like not knowing a lot of times where you're supposed to be going. Um, ah. you know, just it, there's no like radar or anything, but there especially when you get to and I, I know this is gonna be kind of odd, but the the tower part on Endor where there's a um, X-wing coming down that's frozen that's blowing up a Tie Fighter. That that may be way too vague to explain where I'm talking about, but it I spent more time there than probably anywhere else because I couldn't figure out where I was supposed to go because both doors were locked um, and there was no way to open them. And then anytime I would try to move away from that tower, it would say like, "Oh, you need to get back to the you know the mission area." Where are you going? Or whatever the the guy says. Yeah, right? and normally normally I didn't have that issue because I felt like it would point you enough toward where you were um you know where you needed to go but with that one i was constantly going okay where am i supposed to go now like because there was there was no sort of indicator as to you know which way i should be moving and maybe that's just me i mean did you feel like you pretty much had no issues with that and you just um, moved straight I through run it? In, i didn't run into that with the kylo ren part at the end uh-huh. but i did notice during i think it's the first mission or the second mission when they're on indoor they're supposed to go to the landing platform and steal TIE fighters or whatever to escape. Mm-hmm. And there's a point at which you just finished up this kind of an ambush type thing by a crashed vehicle. And there's a, like three different paths you could take to leave. Right. One leads nowhere. One leads to a collectible. And the other one actually leads where you're supposed to go. And for some reason, it seemed like you had to already kind of be going in the right direction before it would ever pop up an objective marker. So I had issues with objective markers from time to time. Mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily with that mission. And supposedly uh, getting the objective markers to pop up at more efficient times is something that they've addressed in a recent patch, but I haven't actually played back through to see if that particular issue or if any of the ones like in the Kylo Ren section have been changed. But they say... They've tweaked them. Okay, sorry. I know that's a little more gameplay, and we haven't necessarily jumped. Well, no, to but that's, that. a ca- yeah, that's campaign but... g- gameplay, though. Right? No, no, no. I know. I'm, I was just talking about that. You know, we were talking more specifically the story rather than the gameplay elements right now. But um, 
but back to it, yeah, I, I didn't have any issues with playing as those characters. In fact, I think it was a really good idea because if you're going to make the models and stuff, like, we want to play as those characters. So, I mean, when was the last time you got to play as Han Solo in a video game, like, actually, like, a playing through a story, not just, like, uh, you know, Han Solo in a, a deathmatch type situation, you know? Um, um, I got to uh, I got to play as Han Solo... Um, when he was at, at at Cloud City in the dance contest, that's not what I'm talking about. That doesn't count. That doesn't count. And you're right. There's a lot of. I mean, a lot of these characters we haven't had a chance to play as in a while, except mm-hmm. maybe like you said, like a deathmatch thing, or maybe it was one of the versions of the Force Unleashed for like the Wii or something, where you got to play almost like a one-on-one fight kind of thing, or almost like a Smash Brothers ripoff type way of doing yeah, it. But weren't those playing um, against them, though? Weren't you just playing? Yeah, those. Yeah. You know, there were times you could actually choose to play as those characters. Like, if you mm-hmm. unlock the battle mode kind of thing for the Wii version of The Force Unleashed, there's like a one-on-one combat mode where you could pick any of the characters and play against any of the characters. Right. Um, but it wasn't a mode that most people were really focused on, and, need, and the Wii version wasn't even the version of the game most people focused on in that mm-hmm. sense either. Um, but, I mean, I think it worked... I think it worked fairly well, um, being able to play as those characters. And the fact that you got to play, among others, as Lando with Billy D. Williams doing the voice was pretty cool because right. he's not even back in The Last Jedi or The Force <sighs> Awakens, Don't even. Um, which is which sucks. But thanks to Lando, mm-hmm. we got to spend some time with Shriv. And Shriv is I don't know about great. you, but... Yeah, I, I think he's one of the best additions to the new canon since Dr. Aphra. Mm-hmm. And I, I need to, so I actually found out uh, Charles Soule uh, said after the game came out, like he wasn't allowed to talk about it beforehand, but he um, actually wrote some of the characters. I think he wrote the Shriv and Lando stuff. Um, nice, which is some of the best mm-hmm. stuff. Like, what was it? It was, uh, you know, we're, are you releasing lava? Well, I'm trying to make a mistake or, or make an escape. With lava. <laughs> oh well, that's I liked that one, but my two favorites were um, where he's like, "Hey, you don't um, like you know you, you're not in charge of uh, in my squad, or you're not a commander in my squadron, or whatever." Where he's getting onto her for giving mm-hmm. orders, and he's like, "We should probably attack the um, do what she just the said." Shield, yeah. yeah, yeah, basically, because <laughs> like, yeah, that's actually what we should do. Um, so I, I liked that, and then I also liked he's like. Just looking at that, that may be the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) (laughs) I like the, um, I guess my favorite too, and the fact that he stands out so much that we have favorite lines from Shriv says something about this character. This is a fantastically funny new character. Mm -hmm. Um, But the two that stood out to me were the, uh, you know, if I'm going to die here. I'm glad you're here with me <laughs> when it's it's got the double meaning, right? Yeah, of, you or know, he, he goes, my friend, but also you got me into this mess. So I'm glad you're going to die, too. Yeah. But, and then the his moment with Dell near the end where Dell's telling, you know, Aiden, you know, you know, make sure you come back or whatever, you know, kind of a, when you realize, oh, he's in love with her. Um, and Shriv's walking out. He's like, oh, yeah, Shriv, hope, you know, be careful, too. Your friendship means so much to me and so on. That's that's probably the best line that Shriv has in the entire thing and one of the funniest moments in a Star Wars story for me in a while. Like I laughed out loud playing that segment when he's walking away from Dell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Shriv is 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 great. We didn't actually get a whole lot of other new characters really though. We got him. 
Mm -hmm. Um, We got Inferno Squad, who we'd actually already met in the novel that was, of course, meant to lead up to this. We got to see Garrick Versio, but again, that's another character we met in the novel. There's not really a lot of of new other characters thrown in. So one thing I've been seeing on Twitter is um, he's being referred to as the Dadmiral. The Dadmiral? Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Dadmiral Versio. Yeah. I like that. Um, Um, What did you think about... um, and I, I guess I should I should preface by what you by I probably would also help to tell me what you've read because mm-hmm. I've obviously been keeping up with everything continuity wise because I have to for the Star Wars timeline gold. Um, but how did you feel about the way they managed to it to integrate this with say Empire's End and Shattered Empire, especially Shattered Empire because to some extent and, and Star Wars Uprising even gets a name gets a a mention in there. But to me the the way they connected it to Shattered Empire. In having it tie into the mission to Naboo that Leia's on, but also having that same technology from Operation Sender play a big part in why Aiden and Dell turn away from the Empire in the first place. I thought that was really well done, although there are some questions as to how it exactly integrates as to where Leia is at any given time, which I haven't actually dug into enough to start figuring out continuity-wise. But how do you feel about the ways they managed to sort of interact with these other stories? Because to an extent, I mean... It, some of the stuff means that when you're reading the other book or the other comic, bet you one of those background ships is this character we just played as. We just never knew it that, right. and that kind of thing. So I, I liked it, but I actually I was getting ready to ask you this question at some point because I, too, um, was like my situation was I'm like, oh, this seems really cool. But I'm wondering if there's not some inconsistencies um, so you would know better than than myself. Inconsistency. I think the only inconsistency was, and, and I would have to go back and look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jim Perry, I believe it was uh, Indiana Jim, who actually streamed with me the other day. Um, I think he was the first to bring up this idea to me that there may be some contradiction as to where Leia is and who she's with at different points within the battle on Naboo. Uh-huh. But I think. Again, I have to go back and reread Shattered Empire, but I'm thinking that what we're seeing is something kind of like what they did with the Battlefront Elite Squadron game, where you have one version of the story told over here, like on the PSP, and one over here on the DS, and when you actually put them together, you see how it integrates, Mm -hmm. and it's not generally contradictory so much as it's just sort of an, oh, this happened off camera in this game, but it's happening in front of the camera in this one. I'm thinking that's probably how it winds up playing out, that... It just happens to be there's stuff in the game we don't see in the comic and stuff in the comic we don't see in the game, but they all still are able to actually happen without running over each other. Okay. But I haven't done like a deep dive. Now, well, here, here's a good question. Um, this is where I would suggest maybe if, if you don't know, then maybe look into would be with Han and trying to get information about Kashyyyk. Well, that just means it has to happen before he sort of runs off for Aftermath. I'm actually kind of wondering if, because there's a part of the conversation that he has with Leia, and we see like the end of the conversation right before they move on to other things uh-huh. in the story. And I actually want to go back when I'm when I'm summarizing it for the timeline. Whenever I finally get a chance to do that, I'm actually going to go back and look in the aftermath books because it makes me wonder if that conversation was actually in one of those books, like if it was in the beginning of Life Dead or maybe near the end of the original aftermath book or something. Because I would assume that this is going to be either right before or right after the instance of looking for information that we see in an interlude in the first aftermath, mm-hmm. because it's got to be before they get betrayed and Chewie gets taken and then Han 
you know, is looking for rescuing Chewie because there's right. nothing in his conversation with Maz and whatnot in the game that suggests this big need for him to find Chewbacca so much as it's just we need information to help us get to Kashyyyk in the first place, which he's right. still trying to find in yeah, because I, I think that still lines up from what I can tell. Well, I was thinking in aftermath, like in the first one, he had not decided yet that they were going to Kashyyyk. I thought they decided, let's go to Kashyyyk in aftermath. Like they were still, yeah, they were still deciding because they needed to get information, and they, and they were trying to see if they could get the Republic to, or the New Republic to back that move. Mm-hmm. But they wind up, they're in contact with someone, and I'm, I'm thinking that the person they're in contact with in the interlude in aftermath. It's been a while. Right. Um, I think the person they get in contact with there is the one that leads them into the trap that screws things up and sets stuff up for life debt. Okay. So that I would assume that if that's them getting information that leads them into that, unless there's some kind of gap in time where they're like, oh, we've got this information, but we need a little bit more, that probably what we're seeing is the first step or one of the earliest steps of that whole process being in the game. And then soon after that, we get what happens in aftermath because we do have some unspecified amounts of times that move like there's a point in the game where they refer to you know uh, in the last six months but it's hard to tell whether that six months is since they joined the re- the uh, new republic is it six months since they uh were trying to hunt down versio was it six months since the battle of indoor um but they don't have a lot of specific time references within the game that allows it to be flexible enough that i think as long as they're still in sequence they're fine which is funny because it's basically the same type of thing that they're doing with the Marvel comics right after A New Hope, yeah. right? Which is, we're just going to tell the stories and somebody will piece them together. We're not really following. I think it's it's better put together here, like they actually spent more time trying to figure out how it connects together here. Um, but to some degree, it's going to be one of those, since we haven't talked about specific amounts of months after the Battle of Endor, we can just kind of put things in the right order. And as long as they fit that way, we're not going to talk about month numbers. I think there's maybe a month reference in Shattered Empire once. But for the most part, it just kind of just runs. You just know when the the year ends because then's the Battle of Jakku. Right. Well, you know what I thought was kind of funny too cuz I thought of you when they said this as I noticed that when they do their time jump, it just says decades later. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, "Well, I I guess it is decades later." Well, cuz that um, could mean I mean that's so basically it's about what, 29, 30 years, give or take, somewhere in there, um, that, uh, like, Force Awakens is 29 years after the Battle of Jakku, is that correct, or? Right, right, because it's 30 after Endor, yeah. Yeah, so so basically, you know, you say about 30 years, decades, <laughs> does that mean this took place 20 years later, or this took place 30 years later? And it's like... And it's decades, so it doesn't even necessarily have to be a round number, right? Because right. they're saying it in such a way that suggests <laughs> that it's not. I'm like, that is um, such a huge, uh, like, you've really left yourself open but there. They, but they Especially do that on some... crap all the time. But thankfully, we have other stuff that'll help us fit that in. Right. You know, well, we got I the, would say... We got some comments that are being made. We got the fact that Kylo Ren is there mm-hmm. at all, and yet doesn't seem to have fallen already by the time of Bloodline. So there are ways to uh, that that isn't nearly as vague as like well the thrawn novel being like yeah here's an indi- you know and all of a sudden he's a grand admiral right <laughs> and you're like wait i'm sorry what well no but see but to me it's or funny admiral. though because it it they leave themselves such a huge gap um by saying like i said decades later like that could theoretically fall in to such a, a large um like like you know you need other materials to determine it's whereabouts but 
the funny thing is, like, if I was going to guess, I would say probably, you know, within a year from uh, The Force Awakens, you know, yes, like when exa- that starts. Exactly. Which is why my argument was that essentially this is not fulfilling the promise of bridging the gap, though hopefully the DLC will. But mm-hmm. that begs the question that I have, which is, okay, if if basically the entire game except the last mission all basically leads up to the Battle of Jakku, so it's just within about a year stretch, and then the last part is right near The Force Awakens, because I... I'd have to replay it, but I could have sworn there was a reference to something that made me go, aha, that connected it to something else right before The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. Um, but given that they've made that jump, it makes me wonder, with all the questions they leave at the end, which is like, where is Aiden? What about this kid? What has happened since then? Et cetera, et cetera. You know, how does Hask wind up surviving what we see in the penultimate chapter to wind up being alive in the, the final chapter and all this stuff? Um, is where will that DLC actually fit in? When they give us this, I think it's called Resurrection is the first one that drops on December 13th. Will that story content be in the gap between those last two chapters? Or are they going to pick up where the last chapter left off? Mm -hmm. Because the story approach would be very different with those. But if it's in between, then the DLC story content has the potential to actually fulfill the quote-unquote promise that the game's base campaign doesn't do in terms of bridging that gap. But if it doesn't, instead what we've got is, you know, the gap between Endor and Jakku and then a gap between right before The Force Awakens and maybe right before The Last Jedi or something. Right. Um, it, but, it, but it makes me wonder, like, is it an unfulfilled promise or is it a promise that's not fulfilled yet? Right. But it's coming, and it all hinges upon where this DLC goes from the last chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I'm... I don't know. It's I, I, I'm actually fine with whatever we get. I, I would kind of like to, you know, have both. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm like, why not both? Uh, but you don't want to pay for it with microtransactions or anything like that, you scummy gamer. Wait, sorry, sorry. I was channeling my inner EA. <laughs> so anyhow, which is also uh, my inner a hole, as you may have figured out. Same voice. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the thing, I thought it was kind of odd. And, and then I was I'm like, oh, this is what we're doing. And it's, it's hard to ha- have too much of an opinion on this because we don't have that continuation. But I was like, well, that was sort of random where uh, Dell and uh, Aiden just sort of kiss at the end. Uh, I'm like, wow, there was, I never got any sort of romantic vibes from really? them. See, I got a little bit of the vibes, particularly with, you know, the, the you know, comeback alive type thing. Like, you can see it a couple times in the way that he's acting. I don't tend to see it in what she's saying, but in replaying it, because what I did was I played through the campaign for, like, 75% of it. I did, you know, a quick little bit on a stream, and then that night played a ton of it, and then realized that the people on the stream wanted to see the whole thing and hear my commentary. So I went back and replayed all the stuff I had played that night next time and then continued on so like the middle part of the game i've played a couple of times now uh-huh. uh, not counting going and looking for collectibles um but i find it interesting i think that you sort of see the beginnings of it with the whole thing where they're flying at cloud city and they're passing the big creatures with the tabana and stuff oh right and right there's the whole thing about you know uh where do you want to go i want to go to lothal and such and such and such and such but you've already been there i want to see them when they're free and she's like you know you know that sounds really nice and it's sort of that it feels like they're the opening up to each other and getting more towards like an admiration for each other and in like leaning towards romantic, but not quite there yet. I feel like that's starting right around that time. And if you think of it that way and you see their interactions as they go on, it's a little subtle, 
but you start to kind of see the hints of it leading up to the don't die and then the kiss afterwards. But it's definitely not something that they they overdo. And I kind of like that they didn't overdo it. I mean, it does kind of seem for some like it came out of nowhere, especially if you haven't been looking for like little subtle things like I did on the second playthrough. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like otherwise it would have been like, oh, here's cliche number two, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Because they would have been playing it up. If they play it up much beyond where it is at all, it becomes sort of a, oh, it's a shoehorned in love story or something. You know what I mean? It doesn't right. feel as natural. No, I, I hear you. I just, well, to me, I felt like it sort of just seemed a little shoehorned just because it's like, well, they've got a kiss at the end. They just won, you know, I, but because my thing is that like, I get what you're saying, but I just always took that as more of no one, like no one else actually gets where the, uh, the other person as much as you know like nobody really quite knows what it's like to be Dell other than her and then nobody really knows right. what it's like to be Aiden other than Dell so does and, that mean that when you got to the last chapter you were kind of like whoa what whenever it turned out that they had been together and had a kid and all that kind of backstory no stuff they were no not by that point because they had you know they'd kissed right before that okay so you're saying that so you're saying that the kiss itself could be written off as other reasons for it than the beginning of a romantic relationship no 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 I'm saying it was there. I'm saying it everything makes sense for the rest of it. I'm saying up to the kiss, it, you didn't see it. I, yeah, I, I saw. I saw it as just sort of uh, a mutual um, understanding of one another. And so this wasn't like a celebratory kiss so much as you were like you didn't quite see it coming. But as soon as they kissed, it was okay. That must be a romantic thing. That can't just be like a hey, it's New Year's. Hey, we just won the right. war. Yeah, like, yeah. Because and, okay. and especially how they showed it. Because like you know she kisses him, but then. When uh, Shriv shows up, you know, like he's like tipped her over and, and kissing her or whatever. And I was like, oh, OK, well, I guess and, we're doing and that now. And she didn't grab Shiv and do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. Oh, Shiv. Hey, congratulations. We won the war. I guess you should get a kiss, too. No, no, that's OK. Yeah. So, like I said, to me, it just sort of felt out of nowhere. Because, um, like I said, I, I thought that it was a situation of like, OK, he still sees her as his commander. Um since you know that that's what she was in Inferno Squad, and even though, which I mean, they still technically are, because if you notice, they still call their like refer mm-hmm. to themselves as Inferno Squad when they're rebels. I thought, but, and I thought that was so cool from a prop. Imagine that from a propaganda standpoint. Yeah, you know? no, I, I I liked it, you know, and and like I said, it, to me, it's still them being like, hey, we said this is about Inferno Squad. They're still technically Inferno Squad. Um, so yeah, I thought that um, I, I never took any of that as, as being romantic. But I did sort of like it when then they're like, oh, they've got a kid. And and so you start to sort of see that there's more stuff going on. And you're like, okay, let's figure out what's going on with this kid. You know, how old is this kid at this point? Like, what are we going to see here? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a mystery that they're, you know, they're leaving you on this cliffhanger. So that I sort of liked. I just, I guess I would have liked a little bit more of a... Um, you know, just a couple little scenes where where you sort of get, oh, okay, they're they're kind of falling in love because I I get how they could, um, but I don't, I don't know, I I just like I said, I didn't think that they touched on that, and and that's my biggest problem I think with the game as a whole is there's sort of story beats that needed to be there to explain why things were happening that were not there. What about, as we're talking about you know, the character development and the beats that are needed there, what about Gideon? 
Okay. So Gideon comes off as a real hard ass, right? You know, you know, the empires are people. Our troops will get off planet first. You know, the civilians can screw themselves is kind of his attitude. Um, I thought that there's so much about what happened with Gideon. I mean, this is Paul Blackthorne. I mean, this is Detective Lance. This is – or Captain Lance now, I guess, or Deputy Mayor or whatever the heck he is now. I mean, this is Harry I don't know Dresden. what any of that means, but um, – You don't watch the Arrowverse, do you? No. Um, yeah, so, so he's known for playing uh, – Detective Quentin Lance slash Captain Quentin Lance. Gotcha. On okay, I know who you're talking Arrow. about. Now. Gotcha. Uh, Black Canary's dad, or mm-hmm. the Black Canary's dad until the new one, et cetera. Um, but yeah, so you got him in there, and I was impressed by the fact that it's it would be very easy for them to just make he's the hard ass all the time. So it's just you disobeyed orders, you will die now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and granted, we got you know the the clash between him and Iden allowed us to have those moments in the campaign that were basically almost as close together as in the freaking trailer of, I'm your commanding officer, stand down, you take orders from me. So the two cliches you expect in any military-based story Which, were those in the game? Back to back. I don't remember that in-game, though, those two sequences. Oh, yeah, they were both in the game. Okay, They were I don't both know. in the game right around the Vardos mission because it, when she's first refusing it or she's, like, like disagreeing with it, you know, and the, and the same conversation of the I don't take orders from dead men, he does the you take orders from me thing as a response, and then she immediately, whenever Dell's like, I'm going to kill this person who's wanting to go with the person we came to extract because we're only supposed to extract that one, she gives the I'm your commanding officer stand down thing. Um, so the, the cliches okay. erupt fairly closely back to back on that Vardos yeah. mission. But the point I'm trying to get out though is it'd be extremely easy for them to just make him sort of a one note character, but because they got somebody who can really play subtle emotions um, with Blackthorn, I found that when he, when they did turn and mm-hmm. he stays loyal to the empire, the way that he acts and responds and just the little nuances of his facial expressions and some of the things he's saying almost like under his breath where it's not even necessarily meant to be heard by Aiden. Um, I think that played out very well. Like you could see that it was taking sort of an emotional toll on him, but he still was like, you are, it's still a black and white. You are wrong. I must do my duty. That means you've just become the enemy, but it's played in such a way that it still feels human for him, which like I said, it, it impressed me because you usually don't necessarily see that in that type of story. It's usually much more of a black and white quick, you know, oh, well, he just became the jerk of the story now. But no, you got to see that. And to me, that reflects the the Gideon that we saw in the book. Oh, yeah. Particularly sure. near yeah. the end where he's like, well, did the job and killed everybody. You ready to go? <laughs> and, she, and she's kind of like, what? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I felt like that was consistent. Um, but I mean, I, I don't know. I still think he was a pretty flat character. He was just, but, which like is not it. a bad thing. I mean, most side characters are flat characters. Did you, um, did you get a father, like a surrogate father-son vibe from his interaction with Ver- his little bit of interaction we see with him and and Versio that sort of echoed the fact that in the novel it did seem like sometimes he was almost more supportive of and proud of Gideon than he was of Aiden. I, I kind of got that vibe out of his scene mm-hmm. as he reports back after Aiden and Dell jump ship. No, but th- that it was the only, I mean, cause this is the only other thing I think I have to say on, on the story. Um, but I, I actually, that was a sort of situation where it felt a little false to me because he was just like, Hey, I didn't, uh, I didn't jump ship. And he's like, got it. We'll take care of them. And then like, just basically going off of Gideon's word, he just like basically tells everybody, hunt down and kill my daughter. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that's true. That he he does, you know, he does accept that without question. But then maybe it's just because of his 
faith in the abilities of and his his past with Gideon. So I don't know. To me, that felt like that worked, but you're it, it was a little abrupt feeling. Well, yeah, because because um, my thinking yeah. is like, well, what if he was the one who actually ended up being the traitor and. Like, now what's Aiden supposed to do? Because she's like, no, I'm not the traitor. He's the traitor, you know? And it's like, well, that's the easiest thing to do. All you got to do, if you want to betray the Empire, just jump on the comms and say that the other people who were, you know, clearly your, um, you know, the, the rivals. people. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're like right now. I, I didn't want to say rival as much as your sort of your uh, barricade or hurdle, you know, that like, oh, crap, if they know that I'm turning and they can shoot me dead right now or whatever. But if I say that they just betrayed us, then I can turn everybody here against them while I make my getaway, you know, <laughs> like. So it's so it's basically on the comms. It's the he's a traitor. No, he is the traitor and you got your Samuel L. Jackson kind of moment going yeah. on. Um, all right. So I've got two things that I wanted to bring up that are relating to the campaign, but not story related. So do we have anything else story wise or I don't have anything else. Jump I mean, I was just kind of wanting to just make some mentions of some gameplay stuff and that's about, that's, that's, that's all I have. For, yeah. So I 